0: This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by L.L. Bean, a company that wants to help you experience the power of being outside this winter. Research has shown numerous mental and physical benefits to spending time outdoors. The positive effects can be the strongest during the coldest, darkest days.
1: I've really found that that daily dose of physical activity is super important for my resilience and my optimism.
0: <laughs> That's Keegan Randall a five-time Olympic cross-country skier. She's been working with L.L. Bean to help get the word out about just how important it is for all of us to play outside and how good it makes us feel, even when it's freezing.
1: The added benefit of that chill in the air, it's so refreshing. And so you're out there, and then when you come back in, you have kind of this content glow. And then when you go to bed at night, you sleep so well.
0: For 20 years, Kiken competed at the highest level of sport. Today, she's a mom to a four-year-old son, and she knows that finding the motivation to head out in winter, it can be hard.
1: I definitely look out the door some days and go, ooh, that looks cold, ooh, wouldn't it just be nice to stay inside where everything's nice and easy?
0: Like the rest of us, she needs new ideas for activities that spur her to get out there, which is why she's been going to llbean.com to read guides to winter sports, inspiring stories, and suggestions for family adventures. She says that testing out the recommendations has helped her embrace the most basic winter activities, like sledding.
1: I come in from those sledding sessions, and I'm like, wow, I've I've been outside, I've been working, and we've had this really fun experience together with my son. Simple things are often overlooked that can be a great activity for families to do together and actually make you pretty physically active.
0: Visit LLBean.com to find inspiration and how-to advice for active outdoor fun this winter. Plus, ready for anything outerwear to keep you cozy in all kinds of conditions. LL Bean. Be an outsider. From Outside Magazine and PRX, this is the Outside Podcast. If you were a New York Times best-selling author, about to give an interview about your new book, what would you do to get ready? If you're Tom Vanderbilt, apparently you'd sing and pour yourself a glass of water. In an, in an unguarded moment, And you'd probably check your microphone.
2: Check, check, check.
0: And check it again.
2: Check, 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 check. Check, 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 check.
0: Then, if you were planning on really going for it in this interview, you might do some vocal warm-up exercises. And uh, you'd accidentally record all of this, and later send it to a podcast producer. My name is Michael Roberts. I'm the host of The Outside Podcast, as well as Tom Vanderbilt's editor at Outside Magazine. I've had the pleasure of working with him on a range of stories over the years, and I've always appreciated the tremendous effort he puts into every single thing he does. Which is why I'm so excited about his latest book. Its title is Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning. And it chronicles his quest to try his hand at a number of things he'd never done before. Everything from surfing to singing to drawing. And while he doesn't exactly get amazing at any of them,
3: it only
2: makes me feel like dying in an moment.
0: He does learn a number of truly valuable lessons along his journey. And he comes away convinced that for all of us, no matter our age and how busy we may think we are, that learning a new skill is one of the most life-enhancing things we can do. That sure feels like the perfect theme to kick off 2021 on this show. So I asked Outsides editor, Chris Kies to speak with Tom and get him to explain what really happens to us when we dare to be a beginner again.
3: Here's Chris. Well, Tom, thanks for being here. And um, I first off just want to say how much I love this book in large part because it, it really reminded me of how little I've learned in the last 20 years. And I, I'm sort of one of those adults that you describe and kind of came to the realization that all of all of my skills, what I would call skills, were kind of hardened by, by my early 20s. And I haven't really picked up anything significant <laughs> since. So this is a real inspiration. But um, before we get into kind of your your quest and what you were setting out to do here, I want to talk about why there are so many people like me and, you know, what has happened to lifelong learning? What, is there a stigma attached? Why are we so adverse to to picking something up new?
2: Well, I I would just say in your defense, you have had a magazine to run and children to raise and and all sorts of things like that. But, um,
3: okay. I I feel better. Thank you.
2: You know, what what we'd call normal life tends to get in the way in, in a huge way. And, and, you know, when you're in your 20s or 30s, you're not getting sort of huge external rewards for learning things that aren't intrinsically related to what you're supposed to be doing to sort of make a living. It's not like when you're a child, the whole world around you is, you know, kind of standing around you in a circle ready to clap at the smallest thing you do. Uh, <laughs> so, so so that gets in the way. Um, but there's another thing too, I think, which is just the, the stigma of being a beginner. I mean, it's it's very difficult to be in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, at any age, really, and, and to take on something new. And, and the stakes do get higher as you get older. Something like surfing. Let's just jump into one of the things I talk about in the book. Um, you know, when you're, when you're young and very flexible and you don't have as many hard-wired fears, you know, surfing looks like a much different thing than someone who's 50 years old, has questionable health insurance, has a body that is not so flexible and ready to get you know, the crap pounded out of it by, an, by, by a large wave, uh, this, the stakes get higher uh, for making mistakes. So, this, so there's sort of a twin thing there of, you know, we're less likely to want to look foolish as we get older, and the consequences of looking foolish can actually be much more serious than when we're younger. So it, I would just say there's, there's a difficult hurdle there in simply taking that first step.
3: Well, and and especially, and you brought up surfing, and I think in so many of the kind of classic outside sports, it's true. And you even go through a list of every one of these pursuits kind of has an, a term for newbies, and, and it's not a term of endearment. <laughs> and I remember, you know, picking up mountain biking four years ago, I finally picked up my first mountain bike, and I kind of actually almost miss being able to say on those first few rides, like, hey, I'm a total beginner, so people have the least expectations of me. And then when you lose that and some kind of proficiency is uh, expected of you, that's when it gets even even more difficult.
2: Yeah, there's a wonderful um, sort of liberating quality to being a beginner, which many people have commented upon from Steve Jobs to others. But but with a little bit of skill comes responsibility. And um, of course, that that's since you mentioned it, that that's an interesting place, that sort of first plateau of proficiency is often when there are still mistakes, but the mistakes become higher consequence and people take begin to take bigger risks. Uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of studies about, you know, the most pilot errors, the most doctor errors aren't in those very first days of, say, a residency, but they're a little bit further down the line. So, you know, a little knowledge can become uh, a dangerous thing.
3: But I want to... Kind of switch to the other side of that, which is what what I really loved about your book. And early on, you make this case: is that despite that kind of stigma and the expectation built in and the intimidation factor, you you write that being beginner can be a wonderful thing. So make the case for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the simplest ways to basically, you know, become a new person in essence and really radically expand. Sense of self, Uh, you know. I I sort of hit my hit age fifty as you know, sort of let's say you know respected respectable writer. I mean, I I was making a living at it. I had a you know book that was on the New York Times bestseller list. I I had hit a certain number of things that I was always trying to do, and I I felt a certain level of competence. Um, But then I was you know was sort of like, is that it? Is that my entire personality in, in a nutshell right there? And and there's nothing wrong with that. But I was craving. A, a bit more, for sure, and um, so as as I launched into all these new pursuits, not, my concept of myself not only changed, but my entire world began to expand, and I was meeting new people. Which sounds like a funny thing, but again, when you hit a certain stage of life, especially for men, it becomes difficult to to make new friends, to to put it bluntly. And there's been all sorts of research on this. And another thing I found is that the skills really taught me to look at the world in a different way. And and there, there was a lot more learning going on than simply the skill itself. When you start to learn to sing, you think about music in an entirely different way. You think about the songs you've always been listening to your whole life in a different way. When you start to surf, you start paying attention to weather forecasts and oceanography in a way that you, you never did. So there's this, I just found it, you know, a lot of people are sort of looking for transformation. And this just seems like one of the Easiest, low cost, uh, low barrier to entry ways is to simply you know try to learn something new. It's it's sort of what makes us us human. The brain is a novelty seeking machine, and we have great capabilities that often are simply lying dormant that that are looking for an outlet. And so, yeah, that's 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 the case.
3: Well, and, and there was also a, a kind of a, an amazing moment where you describe that being a beginner, I think in, in our brains can be a lot like falling in love. How, is that, is that research backed or more about a feeling?
2: I mean, it's more more of a, a metaphor, let's say, but, but I think there is a very, you know, very similar sort of neurochemical process there, where there's just this sense that the, the whole world has changed. Everything is new. You're, you're looking at, you're, you're just sort of drinking in this new pursuit with, with the zeal of a beginner, I, I think is, you know the beginning of a love stage is, is sort of a similar thing, and you start speaking in this, uh, you know, little puppy language to each other. And <laughs> I I just found that any of these things I got into, I just wanted to know everything about it. I wanted to know the lingo, who the you know who the main players were. I, of course, wanted to get good as quickly as I could, or at least competent. But that's that's all different thing. But um, it just uh, again to to awaken that sense of novelty, which I think we. The brain you know until the day we die is always craving
3: and so out of this it prompts this this mission to to set out to to learn a bunch of new things and and it's an ambitious list in addition to learning chess with your daughter you want to learn to surf to draw to sing to juggling uh, to juggle a few other things so how did you come up with this list and you know why so many items on that list
2: well, as for as for so many, I mean one thing I was worried about was essentially not liking one of the things I plunged mm. into. I, I was worried about, you know, let's say writing a book about learning to play the piano, and if by week two I decided I absolutely hated the piano, I, I had kind of, you know, cast too ambitious of a bet. So I thought because I, I think this is a trap that that people can get into, which is to identify one particular thing as a passion, sort of with a capital P there. And this is Based on some research that that Carol Dweck has done, uh, who's who's the person behind the mindset principle, uh, the problem with that that emphasis on a, on a passion is that these things are hard to learn. So the moment you encounter headwinds of, of difficulty, you might start to feel betrayed by that thing you thought was a, a passion, and you're you're quickly going to lose your sort of love for that, and and you know it sort of backfires. So I, I wanted to treat all these things, you know, kind of like. I don't know how to describe it, you know, putting up little kites in the wind and seeing which ones might, you know, take and, and some might not. But um, so, I, so I think a varied sense of exploration is a good thing in general. And, and of course, if you look at the brain research, you know, some of the biggest changes in neuroplasticity happen at the very beginning. So I, I figured, well, if, if I'm doing six or seven different things for the first time, It it struck me as you know, sort of like high high intensity interval training. My brain was always bouncing from one uh, thing to the next, and um, and in in terms of the things themselves, you know, these were things I basically had had wanted to do at some point in my life, or basically my entire life, and maybe even had done just a bit, like like singing, the way we all do. But I I sort of set a, a certain set of parameters that didn't want them to be too ambitious. You know, like learning to become a commercial pilot, or or speaking uh, Mandarin, you know, or, I mean, which I'd love to do, you know, but um, let's be realistic here. We we know about the 10,000 hours principle to become good at something. I'd be lucky to have 100 hours for, for any of these skills. So what could I accomplish in that? And other than that, you know, I wanted things that were, I could do right nearby. I didn't want to have to travel to Tibet or some far-flung place to go on a sort of crazy mission. Although all these skills could be done all over the world, but there were things that could be done in New York City. And um, so I I sort of tried to put a certain bracket on things. And the last thing is that often they were things that my daughter had also expressed an interest in or was actually doing. And And I should say that that's what my daughter is the one who prompted this whole book because she asked me one day to teach her the game of chess, which I, of course, didn't know how to play. So I, like any parent nowadays, I, I scrambled, you know, onto YouTube and and quickly downloaded some chess apps and tried to learn that way. And it was sort of not a very productive enterprise. So then I did the next thing that a lot of parents do. I hired a coach. And then I thought, well, if, if I have a coach for her, maybe I should try to learn it also. And so my daughter really, you know, like any kid undergoing this journey of of learning exploration that we support and pay for and so enthusiastically back uh you know i sort of wanted to be there as she was doing some of these things and and literally be there with her you know, on the wave at at the chess tournament um to, to the extent that she would actually have me there and of course she's gotten a, a year or two older since uh I finished writing the book and you know the way kids are you know she's sometimes less willing to have me there but that's a whole different conversation.
3: <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a different stage altogether. That doing things with your daughter and specifically with the chest at the beginning um really gives you this great compare and contrast and, and an opportunity to to look at how children learn and how adults learn and I think that that gets it sort of another barrier to entry for adults is I think we've we're under the impression that well it's so much easier to learn as a kid so why bother?
2: One of the major disadvantages is is simply you know lifestyle and and sort of our our status as adults. We simply don't have the time to devote an entire day or half day every day to some video game or or learning some skill. I mean we just, we just don't have that time. So you know children just have that built in kind of lifestyle advantage so that that i think is really looms almost as important you know if not equally important as any sort of brain thing but yeah i mean the brain situation is that you know children are young there are a lot of these synapses that are that are joining as they learn new information they're, they're literally forging new paths in in their brain they're they're sponges they are i use the metaphor of you know sort of like a you know a computer with a, a lightning fast Flash drive that is just ready to gobble up any data you throw at it. Adults, you know, I've spent five decades accumulating information. I have sort of a lumbering, you know, ancient hard drive that it, you, you try to find some file and it's like going, you know, and circling. Uh, so my brain is just number one, filled up with a lot of stuff. So learning any new thing, all that stuff I already know is going to get in the way. If I already know, some sport that's a little bit like this other sport my knowledge of that sport might get in the way or it doesn't affect my daughter and then just our brains become slower as we age in general so it's always going to be it's not to say that adults can't learn anything it's just going to be a little bit harder you're going to you're going to have to put in more work compared to a younger person and this begins to happen you know Pretty much, is in our twenties, so it's uh, you get get out there <laughs> and learn while you can, kids who are listening.
3: <laughs> but uh, okay, well, let's, is there anything on the other side of the ledger uh, that that we have an advantage or a leg up on, on kids when it comes to learning? Well,
2: certainly, yeah. We we have um, this thing called crystallized knowledge, which is you know basically you know sort of wisdom and all of those things we've learned. If, if we're talking about chess, my daughter is very good at seeing possibilities on the board in that very moment, sort of like like when kids do like chess puzzles, they, they can spot some things very quickly. Where I might have an advantage is larger term things like strategy or patience or or even the even sort of the meta-knowledge of, of games and how to play games and how to compete. I mean the, those sorts of things. Um so you know and that that's where by the time a grandmaster emerges they've learn this entire catalog of historical games, which, you know, is sort of this crystallized wisdom, whereas kids do better on, on kind of rapid reflex type movements. So we're, we're sort of playing the long game as adults and which, you know, off, often does have an advantage.
3: So you mentioned just then that kind of part of this exploration for you was learning kind of the process of learning and how to learn and, it doesn't adhere strictly every time with every pursuit that you make, but there is kind of a common arc that goes on. Can you, can you describe the sort of stages and that, that you, every one of us kind of consistently goes through?
2: Yeah, there's a whole set of uh, stages that were put out by the Dreyfus brothers who were academics at the university of California system. And they talk about this five stage model and it's, it's, you know, the beginner, the advanced beginner competency, and it goes all the way up to mastery. And, you know, the, the thing that's most striking is that beginners, the thing they identified was that beginners really pay attention to rules are, because they don't really know the thing they're getting into. So they are trying to learn on the fly. And the easiest way to do that is to pick up these rules. So in, in chess, for example, you, you learn a lot of things right away that are kind of tropes that, you know, uh, you know, don't move your queen too early, don't put your knight on the side of the board, and those are all very good things to learn, except sometimes there actually is an advantage to violating one of those beginner rules, and that's where you get into the sort of <laughs> advanced players who know how to do that, so, you know, the, this, this kind of slavish rule following is good in the beginning, but we need to begin to shed it as we move along and start to pay more attention to what the drivers call, you know, context, contextual clues. Um, so, if you're learning to drive, you, you know, you're sort of like beginners look right at the hood of the car. They don't look very far down the road. They only study traffic signs and signals. They're not kind of looking at what other drivers might be doing. So, that, that's part of this, this process of, of sort of moving along. And, and another unfortunate part of that process is, you know, what's called the plateau. And the beginning of any of these things is a wonderful time, as I sort of mentioned, because the you're making such rapid progress. And this is where this this phrase learning curve, people talk about a steep learning curve, and I, not to get too you know academic here, but they sort of think that that indicates it's a difficult sport or pursuit. But, but what that actually means is that that's just showing your progress versus time. So if it's steep, that means you're really making a lot of progress in a short time. And that actually is sort of the case for a lot of things you know you go snowboarding the first time if the first time you stand up and go down a hill like that that's an amazing leap in performance you've just achieved however after you know a few weeks or a few months you're going to hit this plateau where suddenly okay what do I do next you you can't those next that next set of gains doesn't come quite as easily and that's where it can really begin to become dispiriting and why it is so again, I said kind of liberating and the feeling is of lightness to be a beginner because as you said, the expectations are so low, but with, with sort of the beginning of competency becomes this whole responsibility. And I'm not advocating to simply give up anytime you hit this plateau, but you t- you're just going to have to push and look for some other resources within rather, rather than simply your enthusiasm.
0: We'll be right back. At the top of the episode... We spoke with five-time Olympic cross-country skier Keegan Randall about how she's helping LL Bean inspire you to experience the power of being outside this winter. Not surprisingly, Keegan really likes winter.
1: There is just something magical about watching snowflakes come down. Just snowflakes in the air make me excited.
0: But that doesn't mean she's always motivated to get outside in the cold. In 2018, Keegan was diagnosed with breast cancer, and at the start of her treatment, she decided she would get outside for 10 minutes every day, no matter what. It was often difficult, but always worth it.
1: It got me away from thinking about how awful I felt. And often, once I got moving, I actually wanted to stay out for one time. And 10 minutes turned into four hours.
0: Making a commitment to get outside every day can have a powerful impact on your health and well-being. But Keegan has picked up other invaluable tips for cold weather activities from the winter guides at LLBean.com.
1: I think sometimes when it gets dark, we think, oh, well, the window of opportunity has closed. But actually, throwing on a headlamp and going outside, I find it super fun. It's like you're seeing the trail in a totally different way.
0: Another key piece of advice, make sure you've got the right layers to be comfortable. LL Bean's Ultralight 850 Down Outerwear is made with PFC free water repellent down that stays dry 17 times longer than untreated down for better protection from the cold.
1: We always throw the 850 layer into the pack so that when we get out on the trail, if we decide to sit down and maybe have a drink out of a hot thermos, we can throw our 850s over the top and it just provides that perfect layer of warmth.
0: When it comes to outdoor comfort, LL Bean has you covered. Visit llbean.com to shop innovative winter outerwear and find inspiration and how-to advice for active fun this winter. L.L. Bean, be an outsider.
3: Let's go through a specific skill that you try to learn. The biggest one, probably the one that will be most interesting to our readers, is the surfing. Mm -hmm. First, can you talk a little bit about the place surfing held in your imagination before this? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the Midwest,
2: so I had, you know, I guess people have surfed on Lake Michigan, but I was not aware of that in my day. But, you know, I would watch things like the Brady Bunch where they had this famous episode where they go to Hawaii and Greg enters a surfing competition and is wiped out because of this, this tiki idol they were playing with. So, you know, anyway, it it runs deep, but, um, and you, I would see once in a while on, on ABC's Wide World of Sports would have some surfing feature. So it was just, it was it was, it was coastal. It was in Hawaii. It was just this whole lifestyle that has been, you know, obviously since endless summer has just been out there. And people like me were just, you know, it, it was kind of far away. But um, eventually moved to the East Coast, and I was, I was within spitting distance of the ocean. But the funny thing about New York City is you sort of forget that very often. And even though I was, for decades, was living within short drive of a pretty good surf break. It just didn't, I didn't connect because as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're just caught up in our daily life. We don't have time. We sort of forget these dreams. Uh, so yeah, it's always, always just sort of haunting my imagination. It was something I, I really wished I could do. And more than that, it was just a type of person in, in my mind that I, I wanted to be whether, whether that was actually possible at, in, at age 50 with grown up responsibilities and all that, but <laughs>
3: Well, it's also one of uh, of of all the sports, probably the the highest barrier to entry in terms of that intimidation factor.
2: It is. I mean, surf breaks are are crowd. You know, the better the break, the bigger the crowd, and the, and the more pro, you know, uh, protective the crowd is of that break. Um, I mean, th- there's all sorts of barriers. There's equipment. There's you you have to get to a a beach. Not everyone lives within distance of a, of a good surf break. There's the weather is always a challenge. I mean, you know, you can practice juggling or singing any day of the year in, in the privacy of your home. Surfing, you, you need good conditions to, to practice. And Rockaway Beach in New York City, where I did most of my surfing, is not always a surf paradise. You know, I, I would open the forecast and like four times out of five, it would say, you know, no waves, flat or like a few bumps if you're desperate to get wet think things that are not exactly encouraging so um
3: and you do end up deciding to to surf and you start with taking lessons at Rockaway beach so just describe that area first and then your first encounter with uh having a lesson
2: yeah I mean rockaway beach is a very new york city place it's very very gritty very urban it's right underneath the flight path to JFk so you know half the time you're, you're trying to listen to what your instructor says and you can't hear it because there's a 747 zooming overhead um but there's you know a lot of sort of housing projects that were built in the 50s along the ocean so it looks it looks very stark and almost reminds me of something like on the black sea or something um but then again but then there's also these strange moments of beauty just whether whether the the way the light is falling upon the water or you'll see some great shorebirds or a pod of dolphins even whales have been spotted there and and you're you're sort of sitting out there in the water thinking, wow, you know, I, I, I was in Brooklyn a few minutes ago and, and now I'm here. And like, why wasn't I doing this my whole life? Um, and then, you know, it, it's a great beginner break also, which is um, important. And, and there's always a surf lesson going on there. And, and this is something that will be familiar to many people. if Either they've done them themselves or they've seen it, you know, just a bunch of people on these styrofoam boards doing some of the the practice moves on the beach, like they're desperate to get in the water, but the instructor always makes you go through the motions on, on the beach. You have to practice your pop-up on the beach, which is a good thing because yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to, to practice out in the ocean. Um, And, and yeah, so, and, and Rockaway is, again, it's New York City, so it's, it's very crowded. So I, I tended to favor the winter, um, you know, which involves wearing a, a thick wetsuit and, and dealing with some weather conditions but i just found you know there's a lot lot fewer people and um kind of like like that element of, of the solitude and but yeah i was out there you know months and months and months taking lessons it took me a few times just to stand up and of course the minute i stood up and rode a wave you know i was like frozen like a statue but i the board carried me in i thought you know wow i'm surfing and and this is one of these moments of a beginner where you think like, like, yeah, nailed it. And then then all of a sudden you realize, you know, from there you're only exposed to how much you don't know. And, you know, the next week, like I said, you'll, you'll go backwards. And yeah. So the funny thing about, about surfing is that it's so dynamic and so random that, you know, a few months after I'd been doing this, I was in Portugal doing an assignment and I, I, found a break there. And I, I hired a board and instructor and I thought like, okay, I'm going to show these guys all, all my hard earned Rockaway knowledge. And I, for, for the next hour, I could not catch, I could not ride away. I, even when I was pushed, I could not catch a wave. It was just the, the board was different. It was a shorter board. The 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 nature of the break was different. And so in desperation, they sort of had me change the way I was trying to pop up and they used this sort of, technique that my locals uh, that my guys in Rockaway said oh that that's what they do if they for a one-day lesson just so you can stand up and feel like you've accomplished something but it's not really the way you want to learn for long-term surfing but so I was you know very humbled and there were just endless moments like that where okay I thought I I thought I had this nail but okay I guess now I have to try to catch my own way which is a whole different skill set and then that takes many more weeks and Yeah, so it was just back and forth, back and forth.
3: (laughs) So, yeah, you talked earlier in in our conversation about that plateau period and how, especially for something that you think you're going to be the most passionate about and most excited about, can be this moment of real disappointment. Why am I not getting better at this? Um, So two things I want to know is, why does that happen? It, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the learning curve, but why do we hit the spot where it, it the next level becomes a lot harder to attain? And then do you have any insights, having tried all of these things, and including surfing, like how do you push through that to get to, to instead of just quitting at that point?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I guess, you know, one, one reason is simply that the skills are actually becoming harder. So, I mean, the, the, the things you're trying to achieve as you go deeper... Are, are just technically harder, so they would probably take more time, anyway. Even though you've you put in all these other, other things, you know, to do to do sort of like a a cutback on a, on a wave is is a, is a harder thing than simply catching a, a, a wave and riding it ashore. I mean, number one, you have to have the right wave for a cutback. It it just takes it takes so much repetition and, and muscle memory to build up. Um, and how to push through? I mean, this is something that you know, I and mean, one thing that comes up in, in skill learning quite a bit is there's a, a phrase called repetition without repetition, which was this this Russian uh, scholar of, of, of motor skills. And the idea is that you don't always want to be drilling the same exact thing the same exact way. That a, a lot of the way we learn is sort of through these little accidental missteps and, and reactions to those missteps. So, and, and, and another reason is that you know, surfing never presents you the same wave in the same way every time. So you sort of have to do that. But it, it just points to an important lesson of, of the variability of, of practice when you're doing anything. If you're learning juggling, you know, they say, the first time you learn three ball, when your right hand is the dominant hand, meaning you throw the ball first with your right hand, quickly switch to your left hand just to sort of keep your brain fresh. And, and you, you start to figure out, You'll, you'll probably make more errors that way in the beginning, but you start to figure out more robust means of, of solving those errors as you go on. So just throwing yourself these little roadblocks, but um so, yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the plateaus are real and, and it probably varies uh, for certain sports or, or endeavors, but again, I think just time and changing up the practice and, and just not getting discouraged. One of the surf instructors that, camp i went to in costa rica had i thought a nice comment he said you know don't don't reward yourself for catching a great wave and don't beat yourself up for you know falling on, on a simple wave It because a lot of it is just is just luck y- you may not have actually done the right technique to catch that great wave and it might not work the next time the same way at all and you might have just had sort of a you know stupid thing that happened during the easy wave that you, you slipped up on, it doesn't mean you're a terrible or great surfer. It just you do have to give some allowance to these external factors because they they will they will get you.
3: With that, you know, larger goal of getting to a place where you're not thinking so much and you're just doing with surfing, did you did you have a moment where you had an epiphany where like you you felt like you'd reached that point?
2: The epiphany with surfing is, is maybe not so much about let's say i had a, a series of negative epiphanies uh because i you know thought i had it pretty dialed in at rockaway where on a day of fairly mild waves i could start to reliably catch those waves and just have fun with it and then you know the more you start to catch then you start to play around you're like oh maybe i can try to you know walk a little bit up and down the the, the board I, you know I, I, not talking about toes to the nose or anything, but, you know, just do a little trick. So then you, you start to feel confident in that. When I went to this surf camp in, in Costa Rica, you know, it was it completely blew my mind. I mean, number one, I walk into the place and they've got this wall-sized mural that looks like, um, you know, the family tree in the, in the book, Hundred Years of Solitude. I mean, it's just like this crazy branch of all these things. And what this represents are all the skills and sub-skills of surfing. It's not just, you know, catch catch wave and ride to shore. It's like all this stuff and which I didn't even know existed half of it, much less how to do it. So, you know, that, that was epiphany number one. Like what I thought was surfing was really just this kind of basic, you know, beginning of of the sport. Um, so then to try to, yeah. And (laughs) that, that's, you know, kind of kicked me right there. And then of course day one, Again, thinking I had it pretty dialed, they send us into the white water, which is, you know, after the wave is broken, it's kinda of where the kids are playing and stuff, and just they want you to like sit on the board and catch like a wave that's already broken, which which seems like a very stupid thing, and like, okay, I already know how to do that. Why should why should I do that? And for them, it was just a place to teach you these things quickly and over and over again, because that that's the one thing that is challenging in surfing again is repetition. It's hard to a good wave may only come along, you know, a few times in an hour. And how how are you going to get so good at at when you can only practice three times an hour once a week over the course of a year? So it's it's almost like a tennis ball pitching machine. You can just, it just cranks out these like already broken waves. Uh, And and it's also a little bit slower and that makes it more challenging too.
3: I'm also curious, you know, as at the start, we talked about the, um, the number of, of new skills you're trying out for this book, what's really, have all of them stuck with you or are there one or two in particular that um, have some become something that you feel like will be a, a lifelong passion or uh, interest?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a great question because, you know, the, first of all, I should, this book definitely has you know, the word dilettante written all over it. And, you know, for most people, that's sort of a, a negative word nowadays, but I try in the book to Kind of reclaim its its original sort of positive nature of these these people that were just curious about life and art in Europe and you know it's sort of this, this positive thing. But um, I, I've sort of stuck with with all of them in in some ways. I think singing, for example, has resonated uh, quite a bit, and I've had since joined a, a choir, which then of course unfortunately got hit by the pandemic. So it turns out choirs are are real super spreader events one of the the great, easiest ways to catch covid so i kind of lost the choir for now and we have been doing some remote stuff but it's not quite as satisfying but but seeing you know I, and I, here's the question like is it because it's the most the thing i'm most passionate about or or is it simply the easiest to squeeze into that that life i was talking about um if i if i lived right on the beach maybe i'd be you know an amazing surfer um but yeah i i, I didn't I didn't want to feel obligated to pursue all of these things down to, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, mastery level, not, not that that would be possible, but yeah, it's just, I think we should give ourselves permission to let things go or, or to, you know, not feel like you're abandoning some holy pursuit if, if it doesn't, you know, because learning is often so much about motivation. And if you, if you don't actually like what you're doing, that kind of cuts into the, motivation factor quite a bit. But I, I would say I would say they've all they've all kind of stuck, which is which is which is nice.
0: That was author Tom Vanderbilt speaking with outside editor Chris Kies about his new book, Beginners, the joy and transformative power of lifelong learning. You can learn more about Tom and purchase his book at tomvanderbilt.com. To read an excerpt from the book about Tom's effort to learn to surf, go to outsideonline.com backslash tomvanderbilt. And while you're there, please consider making a contribution to Outside to fund the storytelling we do on this podcast. You can do that right now at outsideonline.com backslash podcastlistener. We really appreciate your support. This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by L.L. Bean, a company that wants to help you experience the power of being outside this winter. Visit llbean.com to find inspiration and how-to advice for active outdoor fun this season. Plus, ready for anything outerwear to keep you cozy. L.L. Bean, be an outsider. We'll be back next week.